0: Good morning. Uh, if you have your your Bibles, once you open up to uh, Colossians chapter two, we will be uh, continuing our our study of Colossians uh, as we have been uh, working through uh, ever since January, uh, and uh, we'll be looking at verses sixteen through nineteen uh, this morning. But uh, as you're as you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about a, an experience that Libby and I had. Uh, over in the, the foothills a couple weeks ago, we, we decided to go hiking. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, uh, my, my wife gave birth uh, in April, and so we have a little three, three-month-old three uh, baby. And we drove up to uh, Bogus Basin, which is a ski resort about a, an hour from here. Uh, and there's nothing else up there. Uh, it's just the ski resort. And we drove past that to get to uh, this hiking area. Uh, and as soon as we went past there, Libby begins to ask me, so where are we going? Uh, how, how, how far is this hike? Because it's, it's dirt roads. Uh, and suddenly, uh, as, as a husband and father, all of the things that could go wrong began going through my mind of, okay, what if we get a flat tire? What if, uh, you know, we're out here and we get lost or I sprain an ankle or all of these, uh, dangers that suddenly loomed large in my, at least in my mind. Uh, and, So we're, we continue on this road and we get up to, uh, this peak. I think it was called Moore's Mountain. Uh, and the whole time we're, we're wondering, okay, can we do this? We have this, you know, little, little tyke, uh, who, who's gonna be with us. It's, it's a warm day. Is he gonna make it? Uh, and, uh, so, we the whole time we're kind of checking the time, looking at the trail map. Are we on the right path? How much further is it? Uh, you know, are there any dangers? And then we come around this mountain and get to a meadow, uh, and then other dangers come into my mind. Of okay, uh, if a bear were to appear right now, what would I do? <laughs> what would I do? Game plan. Uh, so beginning to talk through through all of these things, uh, and uh, along the way as, we, as we're going along this path, uh, it it started out wide. Uh, and it was really easy to follow. And then as we are the, the further along we went, it seemed like people would turn off uh, along the way uh, because it, it kept getting narrower and narrower. Uh, but you, you could always tell uh, what was the main path because it was a little bit more uh, worn down. It was just slightly wider uh, than than the other branches off of that path. And uh, And every time we came to a fork in the road, uh, I would, I had to consult my little trail map guide, uh, my, my little book uh, to see and, and make sure if we were going in the right direction, because to, to go on, take the wrong fork uh, could be, uh, could be another loop around the mountain. It could be getting lost and, and to, to go off of the trail altogether could be, uh, could be really bad yeah, if you have no sense of direction. Uh, and and uh, as I was uh, thinking about that, uh, that's, what the Apostle Paul is doing this morning in Colossians is—he's is giving us a trail map. Uh, he's, he's putting up road signs and, and marking off the, the dangerous paths of, hey, if you go down this road, if you leave the, the narrow path that Christ has established for us, uh, and if you if you take this right or if you take this left, uh, there there's going to be danger ahead, uh, and you're going to be wandering away from Christ uh, and into. Uh, Greater uh, and greater dangers uh, because of what we have chosen to pursue instead of Christ. Uh, and let's uh, let's pause and let's read uh, here in Colossians and let's let's begin reading in in verse six and then we'll read down uh, through through verse 19. What Paul is uh, is doing here is he's finally beginning to address some of the false teaching uh, that has been taking place in uh, Colossae. Uh, and if if you I don't have my whiteboard I forgot it uh, I didn't, didn't bring it with me today uh, but the, some of the false teaching that that's evident in uh, Colossians you can you can remember it with the silly acronym Uh, uh There's there's philosophy uh, that he's going to warn them about and we'll see that uh, here in Colossians two eight. Uh, he's going to speak with them and warn them about ritualism, uh, which we're going to see in two sixteen, uh, exalting rituals as as the way of salvation or the way to keep your salvation. Uh, And then there's going to be asceticism, which is uh, punishing yourself uh, or denying yourself as the way of salvation. That's going to be at the end of this chapter. Uh, Then we're also going to look at mysticism today uh, in in verse uh, 18. It's exalting uh, human experience uh, or spiritual experience and visions above God's word. And then uh, the D in pramdi, uh, is that a dichotomy of the spiritual and the physical. And over and over again, uh, Paul emphasizes that, that Christ is, is God and a bod, so to speak. That he's fully man and fully God. And if, if Jesus is both of those, uh, the physical isn't, uh, evil and the spiritual isn't only good, but they're both good because Jesus was both spiritual and physical. So, uh, with that kind of in the background, let's begin reading in Colossians 2 verse 6. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, and, and so as, as Paul is writing here, you see in verses 11 through through 15 that he has... Uh, he's given them the gospel of this is who you are in Jesus. You have been made complete in him. You have been filled in him. Uh, you've been uh, buried with him in baptism. You've been raised with him to newness of life. Your sins have been forgiven. Uh, and you have victory uh, in Jesus over every spiritual power. And now, uh, having laid out the, the, the right path and and the truth that they should filled upon, now he's going to put up those, those warning signs uh, of, hey, don't go down this path, don't go down this path, and those warning signs are going to continue uh, in the, the next section in, in verses uh, 20 through 23, uh, and then in the beginning of 3.1, he lays out again of, hey, this is, where you, this is what you should focus on, but, but for this morning, what we're going to look at is two of those road signs that we see in verses 16 through 19. Uh, Two of those divergent paths that take you away from the gospel and into uh, danger. Uh, And the the first path uh, is what we could call ritualism, uh, which is uh, it it worships shadows uh, instead of the substance, and that substance is Christ. Uh, We see that in verses 16 uh, and 17. Uh, and uh, verse 16 begins with the uh, therefore, which again, connecting uh, back to what he said of building upon what he said of, hey, this is the true gospel of God has, has saved you, forgiven you, and given you victory in Christ. Uh, now, as a result of that, he, he gives them a prohibition. He says, let no one uh, p- pass judgment on you. Okay? Uh, and the idea is to, to stop an action that has already been ongoing. Uh, so, uh, and the, the word here in the Greek is, is, it's a singular rather than a plural. So I think what Paul has in mind here is a single individual uh, in this church who is, uh, who is teaching and, and bringing in false ideas. So when he says no one, no one has a name, but uh, it's unspoken uh, and unrevealed. Uh, so uh, what we have here is, is this false teacher, uh, and, and Paul is saying, don't let this person pass judgment on you. Uh, he issues this, this prohibition and then he gives five areas that, that they shouldn't be passed judgment on or, or that this person should not be allowed to pass judgment, uh, about them. Uh, and those areas he, he just lists off in, in food. Uh, and as we read uh earlier this morning Ron read of, of Jesus declared all foods to be clean where previously in the old testament uh they weren't allowed to eat certain foods and they had dietary restrictions uh now they are allowed to to eat all things so he says don't let anybody pass judgment on you uh in in matters of food uh and then additionally in in drink uh which is probably uh Connected with, with wine or alcohol, it's usually the the prohibitions uh, that people create for themselves. Uh, then, thirdly, uh, a festival. And I think he's pointing to uh, to the Old Testament Testament feasts, which would be hey, the, the the Passover, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of In um, ingathering and the first fruits. All of these feasts, he says, yeah, you don't have to to perform these feasts in order to be in right standing with God. Uh, so a festival and then a new moon and, and both Jews and Gentiles what they would do uh, at the first of each month they they saw it kind of as a as a special day as a religious observance day and so he says hey those aren't anything special and let no one pass judgment uh, on you concerning that either and then uh, the fifth area he says the Sabbath which is clearly a reference to the Jews of, of exalting one day a week uh, dedicated to God and that was that was important, that was commanded of the Jews in the Old Testament, but it's nowhere commanded of Christians in the New Testament. Uh, Christians are under no obligation to to follow any dietary uh, restrictions or any calendar observances. Uh, but uh, actually in Romans, Paul writes that each individual is, is supposed to determine his own practice in such matters. Listen, uh, this is Romans 14, verses 3 through 6. He says, Let no one who eats... The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Uh, And so what, what Paul is saying here is it's not wrong to to have uh, dietary restrictions that you, uh, in your own mind, come to a conclusion on, or, hey, I want to, to set aside one day a week and observe that uh, to, to worship the Lord. He says, those are fine, but, but where we get where an issue arises is when we begin to pass judgment on those who don't uh, ag- immediately agree with us. Well, that person doesn't observe this day as I do. That person eats bacon, gasp, you know, let's, let's cheer them on. But uh, I've known some who... Uh, who refused or refrained from from eating bacon because they felt uh, that they shouldn't? Uh, and again, what what Romans would say uh, is, "Let each person be convinced in his own mind." We don't want to pass judgment on somebody or or have them violate their own conscience regarding something that they are uh, convinced of. Uh, and and ultimately the the reason that that Christians so even though individuals can can create observances or, or restrictions in their own mind and impose them upon themselves if they if they so desire, uh, we shouldn 't judge others and the reason we, we can 't judge others in these matters is because uh, all of these the, these previous restrictions, and especially those that were connected with the old testament, the, the old covenant, uh, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant has been done away it 's been completed in in Christ, and that 's what Paul points to in verse seventeen, uh, if you look there with me. He says, these, speaking of all of those five, of food, drink, uh, festivals, new moons, and a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Uh, so, in the Old Testament, Israel had a special relationship with God. Uh, they were called to be a kingdom of priests uh, and a holy nation. You see that in, in Exodus 19. Uh, so, uh, what, what does a priest do? A priest is a is a mediator between God and man. You know, so, Uh, I think the easiest uh, way to picture this is in in the Roman Catholic uh, system. Uh, The the priests are the the mediator between the the Catholics and God. So uh, if if a Catholic wants to confess their sins, who do they have to go to? yeah they they go to the priest because they see that priest as a mediator between them and God they have to go to the priest and then the priest goes uh, to God on their behalf whereas uh in uh what what the the bible would teach is that hey everybody every believer is a priest is his own priest and we are able to to enter the throne room of God uh we don't need an additional uh mediator and we don't we can have a relationship with God on our own uh and because that is what the reality now we don't need to to go through all of these these rituals or dietary restrictions and and in the Old Testament those were given to to set Israel apart they were to be uh, a kingdom of priests where uh, the other nations in the world would come to Israel to be in right relationship with God uh but but those Old Testament rituals of what Paul points to here they were just a they were just a shadow. They're just a uh, a glimmer of of Christ, of, of who Jesus would be and what He would accomplish. Uh, and the author of Hebrews uh, echoes this same reality. Uh, Hebrews eight five. He says they, speaking of the Old Testament priests, he says they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying. See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So what he's saying is that, that Moses, the instructions that Moses got for the tabernacle were a reflection of what is in heaven. And then additionally in Roman, or Hebrews ten one, the author says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near, okay those Old Testament sacrifices were just a shadow of what Jesus was going to do, and uh, you guys may have recently heard uh, the big buzz uh, in this area, especially and kind of across the, the u s about uh, the upcoming uh, solar eclipse uh, that 's going to pass through kind of a kind of a once in a lifetime uh, event and Uh, for those of you that that aren't as familiar, solar eclipses is is when the the moon passes in between the earth and the sun uh, and uh, it it casts a shadow, that's about 70 miles uh, in diameter, uh, on certain parts of the earth, but only for a uh, a certain amount of time uh, and in certain places. Uh, That is where that shadow is cast. Uh, And so the the path of that shadow is actually going to pass just north of here uh, in three weeks from tomorrow. Uh, And and I think it's going to be busy that day. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people traveling up uh, to see uh, this this eclipse because if you're there in the eclipse, to view in a partial eclipse, you have to look, you ever see those, those uh, glasses where they have to, to kind of like limit the amount of light that comes in because you're looking at the sun. And what do your parents always tell you? Don't look at the sun. So if, if you're going to be looking at the sun, you use these special glasses. But if you're there in the shadow... Uh, of the eclipse uh, in that, that area that's fully complete. For about two minutes, uh, the moon is completely in front of the sun, and you can look at the sun without the glasses, and you see this, uh, I guess they call it a corona or a crown around uh, the moon, uh, and it's just that, that outline of the sun, uh, and they say uh, that in that shadow area the temperature drops, uh, it looks like a sunset. You can see the stars in the middle of the day. Uh, and, and all of that, and you just, you think of, so if you're in that shadowy area watching the eclipse, uh, is there going to be anybody who's looking at the ground during that time? No, they're not concerned with the shadow, they're concerned with the substances that are creating that shadow. They want to look at the sun and the moon rather than what's happening on the ground. Uh, and that's how how we are supposed to be, of not so concerned with with the shadow that that Jesus is casting in in rituals and dietary restrictions or anything else. But we're to we're to have our eyes lifted heavenward to Christ. He is the substance. He's the one casting the shadow. And and contrary to uh, you know the tale of Peter Pan, shadows don't have a mind of their own. Uh, and, and we have to, to understand that the shadow is not greater than uh, than the substance. You can't separate the two. Uh, and the substance is always greater. Uh, one pastor said, "Indeed, we are called to walk in the light, not settle down in a shadow." Uh, and and so, how does how does this I guess prohibition that Paul is saying of don't let anybody pass judgment on you in matters of, of food and drink uh, or in calendar observances? How does how does this impact us us today? Well. Uh, I think we need to examine our hearts and see, are there ways where I have exalted something that's a shadow, something that should be pointing me to Jesus, uh, that I have elevated that to a, to a place that, I, that I'm worshiping it or finding value in it that I should not? This, this passage makes it clear how we should also interact with one another in the church, that, hey, we have Christian liberty, and we have disagreements on how we should celebrate or observe certain things. Some may feel uh, that they, uh, hey, they, I, I shouldn't drink any alcohol, uh, because you know I don't want to cause somebody to stumble or, or wander into sin. Some may have that conviction, and others may say, hey, you know what, it's fine for me to drink alcohol. Uh, and the one who, who says, I shouldn't drink should, shouldn't pass judgment on the one who drinks, or vice versa. That, that's what Paul is saying here. Let each person be convinced in his own mind, uh, and that we shouldn't pass judgment on others, especially in, in matters of food and drink. And I think the, uh, especially when it concerns alcohol, I think as a, as a, as a fundamental more conservative church, uh, the tendency is to, it's easy to, to, I guess condemn those that would partake of that, but but Scripture doesn't say don't don't touch or drink alcohol. It, it Scripture demands uh, temperance in that rather than abstinence of hey drink it wisely rather than don't drink it uh, at all. Uh, and that, I think that's a, a clear way that we that this would apply to us. But then uh, what about what about this, this idea of not passing judgment on somebody for a calendar observance or, or a festival, whatnot? And, and some of you might be like, I don't see how that applies to me, or I don't do that. Well, uh, let's take, for uh, for instance, uh, the, the idea of, of what if somebody in the church decided not to celebrate Christmas or Easter? Gasp! Uh, right uh, are either of those uh, celebrations or holidays uh, laid out for us in scripture or commanded to be celebrated no so but in, in our own minds, I think if somebody didn 't celebrate Christmas, how would we feel? Are they unchristian they don 't celebrate easter oh, they, they do what so and, and that 's where we have to we have to be careful not to elevate our our culture uh, and even things that we r- regularly do to an to uh, a level that we condemn others if they don't participate in them. Is it, is, am I saying there's anything wrong with celebrating Christmas and Easter? No, I think those are tremendous times where we get to, uh, to remember the, God's story of redemption, uh, that, of the, the promise of the Savior in the birth of Christ, and then uh, of the, the redemption of our souls by the, by the crucifixion uh, and death and resurrection of Jesus uh, around Easter time. So uh, th- those are those are easy things to begin to judge others. And uh, how do we typically judge other people? You, usually, uh, most of the judgment takes place in our own hearts uh, and in our own minds. Uh, and we can also be guilty of sharing that with others. Did you see so and so, and they didn't do this? Yes. Uh, yeah, he saw it. Uh, it it's easy to, to begin to pass judgment on others, but we need to understand that hey, there's we have Christian liberty. Uh, and, and, we're not to pass judgment, uh, and especially not with, with an idea of we have to do these rituals, uh, in order to, to be clean before God. Or we, we have to perform these rituals in order to be acceptable in His sight. And that was, that was the issue that, again, we read in Mark chapter 7, uh, that, the, that the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, hey, why aren't you washing your hands? Why aren't your disciples, uh, going through these cleansing rituals? Uh, and, and what does Jesus say? Now, do, the, do the rituals make you clean? No, those rituals don't make you clean because where's the issue? It's, it's not outside on your skin, but it's internally. It's in your heart. Uh, and as Bruce said, yeah, it, taking a shower doesn't, doesn't wash your heart. Uh, you have to be cleansed by God. Uh, and, and ritualism is not able to to cleanse what only God can do. Uh, so, so ritualism is is a path that, if followed, uh, will take an individual off of the, the narrow path that Christ has laid out for us, and uh, it, it calls us uh, to. Well, it's really easy to follow into ritualism because it, it appeals to our pride. Uh, it seems like we can do it, we can accomplish this, rather than simply resting in the work of Christ. Uh, but, but there are no. There are no rituals to perform. There are no foods uh, for us to avoid uh, or uh, abstain from. Uh, and, and since there are no demands uh, like that upon us as Christians, it would be foolish to, to stray and, and, I guess, willingly welcome that uh, when we have freedom in Christ. Uh, and that's the, that's the first signpost, the first danger sign that, that Paul puts up. Uh, in this passage, and, and the second one, the second divergent path, is seen in verses 18 uh, and 19, uh, which is mysticism, uh, which, which worships med- mediation uh, instead of the mediator, who is Christ. Uh, let, let's look again at verses 18 and 19. Uh, Paul says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, and and in this section he, he begins again with a, a prohibition just like he began in verse 16 but this time he says let no one disqualify you. Uh, let no one uh, condemn you is the is the idea, and again, it's stop something that has already begun. And again, it's singular. I think he's again speaking to a singular person of don't let this person condemn you. And the idea of this word, of think of one pastor said, it meant to, the word meant to decide against someone as an umpire might do. Uh, with the result uh, that they robbed, uh, they are robbed of the prize for which they were competing. So think of that. Uh, how do baseball managers usually uh, respond when when there's a bad call by an umpire? Yeah, they go, they go out there, they uh, they're, they're kicking dirt, they're they're waving their arms, they're doing all of this because they feel that they have been cheated. Uh, that, that's what Paul is saying here. Don't let anybody cheat you or disqualify you for what you've been competing for or, or working for. Uh, don't let anybody take that away from you. And then uh, the idea there of, and if you have if you have your your outline, if you look at the the back of it, I kind of gave you a uh, a diagram of of this passage. And you see, after that that prohibition in verse 18 uh, of let no one disqualify you, there there's going to be four statements. Uh, that that Paul is going to to make, and, and those four statements are going to going to describe both the the false teacher, the, the one who's uh, making these uh, false uh, ideas and presenting them to the church. Uh, it's going to describe the teacher and his teaching. Uh, and so uh, th- there's going to be four statements, uh, and the first three describe what the teacher is doing, and the last one describes what the teacher is not doing. Uh, and so we just kind of kind of work through these. The, the first statement of insisting on asceticism in the worship of angels uh, describes uh, this false teacher of what he is promoting. And uh, the ESV translates uh, a phrase as insisting on asceticism, but it's it's more literally of, of taking pleasure in humility. Uh, of they uh, they are. Uh, happy and, and delighting in their humility. So there's a couple of different things this could mean. It could mean that they have a, uh, a false humility of, hey, they're, they're humble and they're proud of it kind of a thing. Uh, or it could mean, uh, as the, the ESV, and I think the NASV also translates it this way, of is that, they, that they delight or take pleasure in denying themselves. Or uh, asceticism is the idea of punishing yourself uh, or denying yourself or mortifying your your flesh because of what you've done, uh, and so it could point to to either uh, of those uh, I think uh, it's more probably that that hey you're, you're taking a, uh, it's a false humility you're claiming to be humble, and I think that's also an association with hey, I have these these visions but but i'm I'm a humble guy, but have special revelation from God. Uh, And that's what this person uh, insists on or takes pleasure in of, hey, that they have this false humility, but then they're also promoting the the worship of angels, which is actually far worse than false humility. Uh, And the worship of angels, I know, and oftentimes here in America, you're like, do people worship angels? Like, is that even a a thing? Uh, And I could say, yes, it it is very much uh, a thing uh, today in in this uh, day and age and uh, up throughout most of history. Uh, the worship of angels in this particular area, that's where it would be kind of modern day Turkey, uh, is recorded all the way up through the 8th century where they still worshipped uh, the archangel Michael. And the worship of angels is clearly forbidden in in the Bible. That's why this is such a big deal. Uh, and Paul is saying don't let anybody who, who's saying you have to worship angels disqualify you because uh, it's... We are to worship God alone. You see this when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Uh, and and uh, G- Satan says, you know, if you bow down and worship me right now, I'll give you everything in the world. I'll give you all the kingdoms. And J- Jesus responds by saying, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Uh, additionally, true angels uh, understand that they are not to be worshipped. Uh, uh, two times in Revelation... Uh, as the Apostle John is interacting with an angel who's showing him these visions and explaining them to him, John bows down and tries to to worship the angel that's explaining these things to him. And both times, the angel says, "Hey, get up! No, like I am, I, you are. I'm not to be worshipped by you. I'm I'm like you and and your brethren. I'm a servant of the Lord who is to be worshipped. Because true true angels will always worship the true God." Uh, and the Bible teaches that there is but one mediator uh, between God and man. First Timothy uh, two five, uh, Paul writes: For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This means that any any worship of any other individual as a mediator between God and man is is sinful and idolatrous. And, and there's uh, wh- whether we we pray uh, to saints or venerate Mary, worship angels, or we or we exalt a human teacher, uh, you know, don't exalt me. Uh, uh, you can you can begin to to worship the the mediation or the the idea of communication with God, and that's what uh, an- the the word angel literally just means messenger. they carry messages from God to man. Uh, we don't want to fall in love with this. The idea of just communicating with God rather than loving God, uh, and and additionally we have to be aware of this worship of angels, especially because Second uh, Corinthians eleven thirteen and fourteen Paul says that Satan, uh, a fallen angel, disguises himself how, as an as an angel of light, uh, he says for such men uh, are false apostles, deceitful workmen. Uh, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Paul first says, hey, this, this person who is uh, trying to disqualify you uh, is, is, has a false humility and is, they're insisting that you worship angels or taking pleasure in that. Uh, and both of those are sinful. Then the next statement, he says, is going on in detail about visions uh, or literally uh, detailing about things that he's seen. Uh, he's going on uh, and explaining uh, this This false teacher, uh, would, would claim to have inspired visions from God, special revelation uh, from him that would elevate him above others or uh, push others down because they haven't had such visions. Uh, so the, the point uh, that this person would be making of, I have this, this special knowledge of God probably from these angels uh, and it elevates him. And... The idea of continuing revelation, especially visions from angels, has been the start of so, so many uh, modern-day cults and, and false teaching. Uh, and even, even going back, uh, in the 7th century, uh, a gentleman named Mohammed uh, claimed to have received revelation from the angel Gabriel. You know, and, the, and the revelation that he received uh, formed the basis of Islam. Uh, so, Muhammad tried to build on, uh, you know, his, Muslims would say that uh, the Bible is a, is a holy book. Uh, they would just disagree with who Jesus is, uh, and that the Bible should be obeyed, but not in what it says about Jesus. Uh, additionally, in the early 19th century, Joseph Smith claimed to have received revelation from God through the angel Moroni. Uh, the revelation that he received is, is the foundation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the uh, Mormonism. Uh, so again, this this idea of additional revelation, visions fr- uh, of angels, uh, is is something that still takes place today. Uh, and Paul continues, third statement. He says, uh, "What else is going on here? Is this person, this false teacher, is puffed up without reason?" By his sensuous mind, uh, they are—they're guilty of extreme pride. Even though they have this, they claim to be humble. They are uh, extremely prideful, puffed up uh, by their own flesh, by their own uh, desires. Uh, and interestingly, in another place in, in in scripture, Paul Paul explains that he that he had visions about uh, heaven, uh, that he he was taken up to the, the third heaven and had these amazing visions. But immediately after that. Paul says that uh, to keep him humble, uh, God gave him trials and tribulations, and Paul calls it a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, so that he wouldn't become boastful about uh, having this vision. Uh, and And so, it's interesting of the the idea of visions or special revelation from God that God would speak specifically to you and not others. Yeah, that would be really prideful. That would naturally puff you up, but. Uh, the reality is that's, that's what marks, uh, that would be a mark of a false teacher, of saying, I have, I have direct revelation from God, I, I'm something uh, greater than others, when no, the Bible says that all of us are priests, all of us can hear from God by going to his word. Uh, one, one pastor said, if, if you want to hear a word from God, read the Bible. Now, if you want to hear uh, an audible word from God, read the Bible aloud. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, because that is how God has has communicated uh, to us in in these days, uh, and so so those are the, the three things that this this false teacher would be doing. Of hey, he's he's insisting that you that you worship angels. He's uh, delighting in uh, his own false humility. Uh, he is uh, going on in detail about visions, uh, and he, he's puffed up. He's prideful. Uh, but then what is he not doing? And th- this is in this last statement. Uh, and it's, it's very key and important. Of, uh, and this is the, the reality of if you're going to wander into mysticism and you're going to exalt uh, a spiritual experience over the written word of God, uh, you're going to disconnect yourself from Christ. Uh, you are, you're going to show that you are not connected to the head. Christ is, Paul returns to the illustration of uh, a body. And he, he said that earlier in Colossians, that, hey, uh, the church is like a body and Christ is the head of that body. Uh, and the, the head of that body is the one uh, that brings growth. He's the one who, who nourishes and unites uh, the, the church, the individual members of the church. Uh, we see this uh, in, in verse uh, 19. Uh, that's where he lays this out. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Uh, And the idea of of holding fast uh, to something is to hold it uh, strongly and not let it go, and and to kind of uh, connect yourself closely and intimately with whatever you're holding fast to. Uh, And and this false teacher is he 's not holding to christ he 's let go of of Christ if he ever uh, held on to him, uh, and he 's wandered into uh, his own religious and spiritual experiences rather than holding fast to who Jesus is and what Jesus has said uh, and and the overall danger that that Paul is pointing to here is that that elevation of of experiences, whether they 're you know alleged visions. Uh, or anything else, the, the worship of angels, of, this angel spoke to me, or I had this dream. Paul is saying to, to elevate that uh, mystery uh, is, uh, above the written word of God is, is sinful and wrong. Uh, see, see, mysticism loves mystery more than truth. Uh, it loves experience more than the word of God, and it loves what is subjective more than what is objective. Uh, and uh, it, it loves, again, the idea of, of mediation, uh, or communicating rather than uh, truly loving god it 's kind of that that person you' ever' been around a person who just loves to talk uh, and it doesn 't care who they 're talking to, uh, but they just love the idea of communicating and talking to somebody if hey there 's somebody else to to hear me uh, and that 's that's, in essence, what mysticism does. It, it falls in love with just the idea of communicating with God but doesn't actually respond to that communication oh, or even have any kind of a filter for how do we evaluate whether that that's my own thought <laughs> that popped into my mind or is that something that God has uh, has brought to me. We, we, uh, true uh, Christianity is, is going to, to never... Uh, Exalt a spiritual experience above god 's word uh, and and let 's look at a couple passages uh, and some of you may be, may have questions on this so, so if God has spoken to people uh, in in dreams and visions and through angels in the past, why is he not doing that now'll well, turn over with me to to Hebrews chapter one. Uh, Because because that's a good question to ask. Why why is it different now? If God has spoken uh, to people in that way in the past, why should I I doubt that he could do that uh, again now? Well, I think God has has told us how he will communicate with us. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, The author writes, he says, Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay? And in those, in those many ways, yeah, we've seen. In the Old Testament, of yeah, I mean, angels came to Abraham and spoke to him. Uh, Isaac and Jacob had dreams and visions uh, and understood that those came from God. And that's how God spoke to uh, the, fa- the forefathers in, uh, long ago. But verse 2, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by... His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, so while God has spoken to us one way in the past, how is he speaking to us now through, yeah through the, the person of Christ, Jesus is the Word made flesh uh, and now if you if you turn just a couple books to the right, so after Hebrews is James, uh, and then after James uh, is going to be first Peter, and after first Peter is second Peter. Uh, Second Peter, uh, chapter one, starting in verse sixteen. There's something amazing. So Peter was one of the twelve apostles. He 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 ate, slept, lived with Jesus for three years, following him around. Uh, If there was somebody who like, if you wanted to list out spiritual experiences uh, of what somebody saw and and beheld, I think Peter would probably be like maybe at the top of the list, if not at the very top, uh, of what he was able to see in terms of his experience, his spiritual experiences with God. Uh, but, but let's look and see what Peter says. Uh, he says, verse 16, For we, speaking of himself and the other apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, uh, and literally what he's pointing to there is the Mount of Transfiguration when he, uh, so Peter, James, and John are with Jesus on uh, the mountaintop and, uh, suddenly Jesus shines forth in his glory. Uh, and this is an experience that's so, I guess, burned into the memory of Peter that he's, he's like, I saw Jesus in his glory. Verse verse 17, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter points to that experience of, I saw that among everything else that I've seen. I saw that. And then in verse nineteen, he says, "And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts." So Peter had this this amazing spiritual experience with Jesus. Again, I, I was an eyewitness to that. That's what he's saying. But what is he saying is even more sure and more certain than his own eyewitness experience of seeing Jesus in glory at the top of this mountain? The word. The, the written word, the prophetic word that you have in your hand, is more sure than Peter's own eyewitness account of seeing Jesus in his glory. Let's, let's continue reading there in Second Peter. Verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That tells us, hey, what we have in our hands, yes, it was written by men, but it's also a divine author. The Bible is written by 40 men, but a single spirit. Uh, And that spirit has carried along those men uh, to speak truth and to unite the entire Bible uh, so that it does not contradict itself in any part or in any way. And then look at chapter 2. Let's pretend there's not a chapter break there. He's just spoken about the the trustworthiness of Scripture above eyewitness experience. And then chapter 2, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, speaking of the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So so you look at what what did Peter immediately move into? What did he predict? There's going to be... False teachers. There's going to be those who would come and, and try and lead you astray. Uh, and, and that's what Paul is saying here, uh, back in Colossians. And we, can, we can turn back there. That is what Paul is warning the Colossians about. He's saying, hey, here, here are these, these two warning signs, these two dangers, and uh, you need to, to avoid them. Stay on the path uh, laid out in verses 11 to 15. Uh, that you have been complete in Christ. That, that Christ died for you. That your sins, if you believe in Him, have been nailed to the cross. Meaning that Jesus has paid for your crimes. He was killed. His blood was shed be, to pay for what you have done. The sin debt that you owed. Uh, Paul is saying, stay there on that path. Don't wander into these, uh, into these divergent uh, little, little rabbit trails that take you elsewhere. Stay on the path that is, that is narrow, that is straight, and and we have to be on guard because as as Paul is saying here, and as Peter said, there are false teachers out there, uh, and we live in a day and age where technology has has made. Uh, Communication is so easy. Uh, anybody can post a YouTube video. Anybody can post to Twitter uh, or Instagram or Facebook, uh, which is great, right? I mean, that, that means that, that true teaching can go forth at, a, at an expedited rate, but it also means that literally any and every false teacher uh, can, can come and present ideas. And how do, how do we... How do we sort through all of that? How do, how do we have a grid to identify who's a false teacher and, and who's not? Uh, because not all YouTube videos were created equally, uh, and you need to be discerning as you, as you watch them. Uh, and so uh, I would say here what Paul does is he gives us a grid of what does what the false teacher look like? What did this false teacher look like? Well, he was a, he was a prideful individual, uh, and he encouraged people not to not to focus and, and worship Christ, but to focus on other means, uh, whether that be worshiping angels, uh, whether that be depending upon spiritual experiences rather than the written word of god uh, and and ultimately, false teachers they they are not connected to christ uh, and as've as we 've as we've seen that we, we have to see is is this person bearing fruit? Uh, what, what's the demonstration? What's the Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Hey, uh, and again, you, you identify tree by what grows on them, and, and that's what we need to see from teachers as well. Uh, and so we just we need to be aware of the danger of false teaching, and we also need to be aware of, uh, just within mysticism, of we can be guilty of the same. And any time we exalt our own experience above what God's word says, we're, we're guilty of, of mysticism. And, and we, we have to examine our hearts and say, hey, is there anywhere that I have uh, elevated my own thinking above what God's Word says? Uh, is, uh, am I above the Bible or is the Bible above me? And does the Bible stand in judgment of me or do I stand in judgment of the Bible? Uh, and again, if I want to hear from God, where do I go to? Do I go to His Word? Uh, do I go to Him rather than going elsewhere? And Paul has warned us of these two rabbit trails, uh, these two paths uh, that, that split off from, from the narrow way. Ritualism, he shows, is foolish because it worships shadows rather than substance. And he, he shows uh, the sinfulness of mysticism because it disconnects you from, from Christ. Uh, and it worships mediation or the idea of communicating with God instead of the mediator, which is Christ. Um, but but let's, look, let's look back at verse 19 here. Uh, just, just as, we, as we wrap things up. Uh, Paul transitions from describing this, this false teacher to describing what, what the church is like uh, and, and how the church functions, uh, how the church grows. Uh, and, and what he says is that he lays out that there's the, the head, and the head is Jesus. And, and from, whom that, from that head, the whole body grows with a growth that is from God. And how does that take place? Well, it, uh, the head, Jesus, is the one who, who nourishes or, or supports the body. And we are that body. We are the ones that Jesus is supporting, strengthening, equipping, uh, nourishing. I, I love that, that word. Uh, Jesus is, is the one nourishing us. And then what else is he doing? He's nourishing, and then the ESV says knitting. Knitting. Uh, and I know you probably think of an old, an old lady with, with sewing needles, but the idea here is bringing together and uniting individuals who, who are separate who are distinct uh, and and God is the one who who takes uh, a church of of individual believers and begins to unite them together to form uh, a church body uh, and and as that happens, each and every uh, individual, as it says, through the joints and ligaments, through the, the individual members and smaller parts of that body, that church, uh, that's what God uses to, to grow his church, uh, to, to bind them together. And that's why uh, this time, uh, Sunday mornings, is so important. Because we get to come and hear what God's word says, and that's also why uh, Wednesday nights or Friday mornings or other times throughout the week, when when God's people gather together, uh, and we are able to to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to to say, hey, how is your marriage? How was, how is was your parenting? To to lift up and encourage one another. And God uses us to. To impact others, uh, that, that is that is the the message here. If we are, he does it through its joints and ligaments. He he does it by, through that that means of, of carrying it out. Uh, and I, I know as we're going to kind of shift here into uh, in the equipping hour of talking about, hey, you know, the our launch date in September is just you know six weeks away, uh, or I guess seven weeks away, and. Uh, as we get ready for that, I, I've, I've been, I guess, reflecting on what God has already done here in our our church body and what He will continue to do, uh, and, and He's been He's been weaving us together, uniting our hearts, uh, nourishing us, and and I'm so thankful for that, and I want that to to continue, and, and I'm just so so excited for all that He has. I can't wait to to just share with you about uh, what we're able to see this week regarding locations, um, but I'm excited because. I, we get to see this on display and have seen that on display uh, in previous months. And I look forward to that, uh, not just the next six weeks as we, we prepare for the launch, but in, in the years to come, because uh, over time we're just going to get uh, more and more united, more and more knit together as as God nourishes us and he, as he uses us to nourish and strengthen one another, uh, w- which is a, just a tremendous reason uh, to... Uh, to pray to God, to praise Him, uh, to thank Him for who He is and how He has worked in our lives and just, uh, how He has exhorted us here this morning to, to not wander into those paths of ritualism or mysticism, but to, to pursue Christ who has saved us, forgiven us, and granted us victory. So, uh, what we, what we typically do to close is I'll, I'll pray and then there'll be about a a minute where uh we encourage you to to go to the Lord on your own in response to what you've heard this morning uh to respond and then kind of after that brief uh silence we'll we'll sing one last song uh together uh, and then we'll we'll break for uh some snacks and fellowship but let's let's go to uh the Lord in prayer together now lord jesus you you are our head lord you are the one in authority over us you are the one who causes us to grow. You are the one who, who nourishes us, who strengthens us, who is also uniting us and knitting our hearts together in love that we might be a church body uh, who represents you here on the earth. Lord, we long to be uh, as individuals, ambassadors, uh, and we long to be as a church, an embassy, uh, an outpost of your kingdom here uh, on the earth. Lord, we long to, to glorify you and to exalt the name of Christ in our own hearts, in our own lives, and then to put Him on display to the world around us. But Lord, if we are going to, to do that effectively, You know that we need to to follow You, to pursue You. You need to be our first love. So I pray that You would guard our hearts, that You would help us to see and identify ways that we as individuals have fallen into uh, these divergent paths of, of ritualism or mysticism. Lord, help us to, to turn from those paths and turn back to the narrow way that Christ has set before us. Help us to see that as individuals and help us to see that and identify that as a church. Lord, help us to, as we interact with one another, not pass judgment upon others if they differ in their convictions uh, where we have freedom. Lord, help us to extend grace, extend love, uh, to put on love above all things uh, so that we are bound together in perfect harmony, that we might glorify you and display the love that you have shown to us on the cross of Christ, forgiving our sins if we place our faith and trust in him alone. Lord, we long to do that each and every day, turning from sin and turning to Christ. I pray that you would be with us this week, help us to pursue you and be aware of of the teachings and ideas of falsehood around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.